the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, you are listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and this is Pastor Clark Tanner, Northwest Executive Director for Pastor Serve, and I appreciate the opportunity uh, to host this show this afternoon for the vacationing uh, Georgine Rice. Uh, my special guest today is Samuel Hakeem, founder of the Redeeming the Nations. And Samuel, it's always a pleasure to be with you, and thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you, Clark, for having me today, and it's always a pleasure to, to be here in the studio. And it's always a, pre- a pleasure to, to share my heart and God's heart to reach out to the lost. All right. Well, listen, let's just begin by, uh, in a few words, kind of explaining to the listening audience the purpose and the focus of Redeeming the Nations. Well, uh, our focus in Redeeming the Nations is to share the good news of Jesus Christ with Muslims who lived for 1,400 years in a closet they they were not allowed to hear or read the Bible. Uh, Until today, it's a crime in most of the Muslim countries to have the gospel in their hand, to have the Bible in their hands. That's a crime, and sometimes it's sentenced by death. So our goal is to share the good news, let them know that God loves them, and uh, let the Holy Spirit take it from there. So it's my passion and my dream is to give every Muslim a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus in their mother tongue. All right. Well, listen, we're going to be digging into that a lot more today. But before we get to that, uh, Samuel, why don't you just share just a little bit about where you grew up and talk about your home life? Would you do that, please? Uh, Thank you, Clark, for asking me to do that. Uh, I grew up in in Egypt. It's a Muslim country. Uh, But I grew up in a Christian home, nominal Christian home. We were uh, a Coptic Orthodox family, very traditional, uh, similar to uh, a Catholic family. So we go to the church, attend the Mass. I was supposed to be an altar boy. Uh, But I went to the school in this country. It was mandatory for us to study Islam and memorize the Quran. And I was kind of frustrated with that because why, as a Christian, I have to study Islam and memorize the Quran. Uh, But growing up in that environment, even if I didn't like it then, now I can appreciate it a lot because I now see the picture that God has, a big picture. He prepared us and gave us understanding for the religion, for the culture, and now he can use it to encourage us to reach back to them. And when I was 14 years old, uh, I was invited to a youth group in an evangelical church. At that time, uh, they had a drama in the church about the second coming of Jesus. You can call it left behind. And in that drama, they presented that the pastor of the church, an evangelical church, was left behind. So that triggered an interest inside me and said, well, does that mean that not every Christian will make it to heaven? 
and I started searching God in His grace and His mercy, met my need, and a few months later, I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Uh, I finished my education in college uh, in Cairo University. And during that time, I was going to a Bible college in the same time to study the Bible. I finished that as well. And when we came to America, the Lord started challenging me that I allowed you to learn the Arabic language and the culture and learn about Islam. Now, would you be willing to be used to reach back to those people who lived in the closet for 1,400 years and I love them? I want them to know that I love them. Would you be my mailman to take that message? All right. So God placed a real calling on your life to use your background and uh, coming to the Lord to be able to share the gospel uh, wherever you were going. And uh, so talk a little bit about that, if you would, please. Well, I thank God that he has a sense of humor and he can use anyone anywhere. It doesn't matter what we know uh, and how skilled we are. Uh, I wasn't really thinking about a ministry in the sense that we know. Uh, I just was living my life as a normal Christian. And uh, it didn't hit me, even I lived in America for a long time, but it didn't hit me until I moved to Portland back in 1995. Uh, And when I moved to Portland in 1995, I thought it's a very quiet place, wonderful place. a place to live, and not too much traffic. It's not any <laughs> anymore. Uh, and life pace is much slower than what I used to do, either in Cairo or in Los Angeles. Okay. So the Lord starts speaking to my heart. Now you have more time in your hand. What are you going to do with it? In the same time, the Lord sent a friend of mine from the church to start bugging me with the idea that we have about 32,000 Muslims in Portland area. That was back in the 90s. Uh, today we have over 90,000 Muslims in the Portland area. So he said, if there's any ministry for them? I said, no. Any church doing uh, outreach them? Not that I know of. And he looked at me and said, now what are you going to do for them? And he started challenging me as if this is my issue and the Lord is putting responsibility on my shoulder. In the beginning, I resisted a lot because I wasn't thinking about a ministry to Muslims. As a matter of fact, I didn't want to do anything for Muslims because I was persecuted as a Christian in a Muslim country. So why do I need Muslims to come to heaven with me? But uh, the Lord started changing my heart and started planting his love in my heart toward Muslims. And simply, I had to understand that it's not my job to convert Muslims. But it is my responsibility to tell them that God loves them, to be a witness for Jesus. Okay, so what year was it then that you uh, you came to the United States? I came to United States in 19, uh, 1982, and I moved to Portland in 1995, and the Lord uh, used us to start this ministry in 1996. Okay, so in coming to Portland, you really didn't have a, a mission of starting a ministry or anything like that? I was working as an accountant. Okay, all right. And I was doing that until 2012. And, but there were people that God was bringing into your life, it sounds like, that uh, kind of led you to this place of saying, you know what, I need to do something about the knowledge that I have. Well, uh, I, I'm a kind of a person that I don't, li- don't like to take uh, too much risk. 
So I wasn't thinking about starting a ministry. I just want to, to focus on my job, take care of my family. And on my time in the evening, I can do some work to, to share the love of God with other people. But coming to the ministry was that full scale that we have now. That wasn't the idea. And if the Lord have told me about that from the beginning, I would get scared. So the Lord was patient on me. Okay, well, Samuel, thank you very much for just kind of launching us into your background and how God has used you and prepared you for this minister, Redeeming the Nations. And we'll be back in a little bit. We're going to dig a little bit further into uh, Redeeming the Nations and how God is using you today. And so this is uh, Clark Tanner, uh, Northwest Executive Director of Pastor Serve, and my special guest today is Samuel Lukeen, founder of Redeeming the Nations. This is 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and this is Pastor Clark Tanner, Northwest Executive Director for Pastor Serve. And uh, my special guest this afternoon is Samuel Hakeem, founder of Redeeming the Nations Ministry. And again, uh, Samuel, it's great to have you with us. And, you know, every time I hear you talk about the ministry, I'm just intrigued about everything that you are doing and how God is uh, um, doing some things right here in Portland, Oregon, to be able to even launch it into other parts of the world. And so we've talked just a little bit about uh, the, the purpose and focus of redeeming the nations, but let's expand that just a little bit this afternoon and uh, talk a little bit about the idea of, I believe, uh, Christian television and how that you're uh, putting shows together and bouncing them off of satellites and goes into other parts of the world, the Middle East. Well, in the beginning, we were not thinking about uh, a television program. Uh, Actually, at that time, I didn't have a good idea about uh, television evangelism. I always thought it's a show, it's it's about... uh, prestige and money and stuff like that. And uh, I didn't want to to be in that direction. But uh, as we prayed and uh, we talked with my friend that challenged me to reach out to Muslims at that time, uh, I I tried to get away from that idea. So my response to him was, no, even if you invite Muslims to a church, they wouldn't come to a church because the church to them is not a clean place religiously. So he looked at me and said, who said that we want to bring them to the church? We want to take the church to them. I said, how? He looked at me and said, yeah, there is something called television. If we cannot reach out to Muslims and bring them to church, we can take the church to them through their television. And I shared my concerns with him and he said, no, no, no. This is in the general idea. But when we have a specific need and this is the only way that you can reach out to them, then it, it would be good to use it. I looked at him and said, well, we don't have any resources to do that. And he pointed me at that time to what was known as cable access television. He said, this is government television. It's almost free. And you have the equipment and the studio and everything is available to be used by the public. And that's how we started. So I agreed at that time to start one monthly program, half an hour program, just on the Washington County area, because I lived in Beaverton at that time. And by God's grace, he kept expanding. Uh, The one-month program became to be a weekly program. 
And from Washington County, we started broadcasting to the entire metropolitan area. We were on multiple studios. And within two years period of time, other Christians who speak Arabic language, who came from the Middle East in different states, start hearing about what God is doing here. And we start receiving phone calls. Can you send us your programs? And we will contract the local cable access in our state and broadcast it there. In in two years' time, we were on six different states. By the end of 1998, another satellite station, and that was a miracle, started from London to broadcast the gospel in Arabic to the entire Middle East and North Africa. Uh, And they only had four hours a day on a secular channel. That was Sat7, the beginning of Sat7 in the Middle East. Uh, And Sat7 contacted us, and they wanted to have our programs on the air. So here again, another step, the Lord started taking us from monthly to weekly, from one state to six state, and now we are reaching out to the Middle East and North Africa. And what we thought that the Lord is going to use us locally here, God said, well, expand your horizon. I brought you out of Egypt to give you the freedom here that you didn't enjoy there. And because you have the freedom here and you have the technology, you can reach back not to Cairo, not to Egypt, but to the entire Middle East and North Africa. And thank God today we are on multiple uh, international satellite, big networks. We are in 13 uh, different satellites and we are broadcasting the gospel in Arabic language to Muslims not only the Middle East and North Africa, but globally. We have people who are calling us from Australia, New Zealand, even China, Latin America. So praise God that he's taking the gospel to wherever they are. So you started out with cable TV, and today it's my understanding that there are several million people that you have the potential of reaching every day. We thank God, uh, Clark, because of the technology we have nowadays, uh, that sometimes we think it's evil, but what is meant for evil, God can use for good. That's right. We have the technology that allowed us to reach something we could even could not even dream about it before. How can we reach this multitude? Now, because of sat- uh, technology, the satellite television, we are able to broadcast globally. So Muslim everywhere, we used to have what we called closed countries because we cannot send missionaries over there. And if we send them, they're not going to come back because they're going to get killed on the field. Today, we can take the gospel into their bedrooms and we have awesome stories. And God is using that in, in a wonderful way, beyond our dreams. Uh, also, because the technology kept developing, now we have internet and social media. If you go to the Middle East, number one, the statistics in early 2000 was the highest number of satellite dishes per capita in the world was in the Middle East. Okay, so let me ask you this, then, if we're broadcasting into all these homes and those locations, uh, who's watching? Uh, women, men, children, who, uh, who's watching these programs? We receive calls from everyone. I received calls from teenagers. I received calls from men. Woman, but the amazing uh, truth that we find out is we have more younger generation responding to the gospel more than older generation. 
Okay, so I'm assuming they're using their smartphones and picking it up exactly. right there. Kids in the streets in the Middle East, even they don't have enough to eat, but kids in the streets in the Middle East, they have more star- smartphones in their hands more than our kids here. So, Samuel, what kind of questions are they asking when they, because uh, I know you receive these calls uh, 24 hours a day. I mean, you're, you're at night, you're, you're on the phone a lot. And the middle of the night, uh, what kind of questions are they asking? Uh, first, Clark, uh, God is using uh, us sharing the gospel to answer their questions. But really, I think the questions start in their hearts even before they watch the program because they are suffering a lot. Islam is a very harsh religion and it's very political and controlling religion. Uh, and what they see in Islam is not satisfying their hearts. And people, especially after the what we call the Arab Spring, when a lot of uprisings started in different Muslim countries, and people start seeing fighting and bloodshed in every country, they start wondering if this is the God that we worship. So people start thinking about Islam and reconsidering their gods. And uh, here they watch the program and they find different views. The views that they see on the program uh, trigger the question they ask, who is God? Which God is true? Which book is true? What is the difference between Christianity and Islam? Why you are peaceful and loving people and we don't experience that in the Middle East? So those kind of questions that comes all the time. Another thing that uh, is not only age groups, but gender. We find that Muslim women usually are more interested to hear the gospel more than a Muslim man. Why? Because Islam started as a political and power religion. So it gives the power to the man, the head of the household. And the man can abuse the woman, no question asked. A man can have as many wives as he wants, no question asked. Uh, But the woman is the one who is suffering and being abused uh, in the Islamic religion. And because of that, woman have a tender heart, and they are crying out to God. How can we get out of this, that misery? And when they hear about the loving God who loves them and love man equally as woman, their heart melts before God. Okay, well, Samuel, this is a, a quite a discussion that we're having here today, and uh, we're going to have to take a break here just for a few moments, but we'll be back in just a few moments with uh, Samuel Hakeem, founder of Redeeming the Nations, and we're just going to continue to talk about uh, the Muslim faith and uh, how that we can reach out to our neighbors and how that we can be an influence wherever we are. Uh, stay tuned. This is 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. And this is Pastor Clark Tanner, the Northwest Executive Director for Pastor Serve. And my special guest this afternoon is Samuel Hakeem, founder of Redeeming the Nations. And Samuel, we've spent a little time talking about how God, early in your life, um, formed many things that you're using today uh, in your ministry, how you came to the United States, how God brought you uh, to Portland, Oregon, and uh, just a lot about uh, the uh, the Muslim faith. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the history of Islam here, because I'm sure as we're, we're, we're talking about all these issues today that there's probably people sitting out there saying, you know, I don't know that much about the history of Islam. 
And so uh, t- take some time just to uh, to unfold that for us, if you would, please. Uh, well, Clark, the history of Islam is very little bit confusing for a little simple issue. When Islam started, Islam tried to wipe out every book around them that doesn't agree with Islam. So we have very, very little books talks about the culture at that time before Islam and how Islam started. They try to, to destroy every evidence. And this is one of the things that Islam is based on is deception. So most of the information we have now, uh, it's taking out of their books. So basically you're taking the testimony from the mouth of the, the criminal, not the victim, because they try to destroy any evidence against them. But thank God that we still have a good uh, information about it. And let's take it from their books. If you look at the, the picture, the big picture, Islam actually goes back before Islam started. Let's go back to the time of Abraham. When Abraham was not obedient and patient to wait on the Lord to fulfill the promises to him, and he got uh, married to, to Hagar and, and had Ishmael, and then he had Isaac, and Abraham asked God to bless Ishmael as well because God was insisting the blessing is through Isaac. The promise is through Isaac. The Messiah is going to come through Isaac. And through Isaac's seed, all nations is going to be blessed. And by the way, all nations includes Muslims' nations. is not excluding them from that, uh, that promise. But uh, when Abraham asked God, okay, what about Ishmael? And God promised him that he will bless him. But when we read in Genesis that God said also difficult statement about Ishmael that he's going to be a wild kind of a man and his hand is going to be against everyone and everybody's hand is going to be against him. And that's what we see in that culture. So Muslim try to, to drag their roots back to Abraham and they don't believe that Abraham tried to sacrifice uh, Isaac. They believe that uh, Ishmael was the promised one. And they try to hold on that. So from that introduction, we understand that Muslim didn't live too far away from the Middle East because he came from the line of Ishmael. So they lived somewhere close in that area. Uh, fast forward, Jesus Christ came and all the promises to Abraham was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Savior who's going to solve mankind problem uh, on the cross. And uh, after Christ, the church started getting weak. We knew from history that the church went, the church went through a dark uh, area of time, and uh, the evangelism to the Middle East didn't continue. The church started coming down in their calling. Uh, 600 years later, actually Muhammad was born in 570 AD in a city called Mecca. And by the way, it's not Mecca that we know today in Saudi Arabia. Okay, why don't you explain that just a little uh, bit? Yeah, can we come back to this in a, in a little sure, bit? Sure, yeah, that's fine. So we can finish this point and come back to, to it. So Muhammad was born in a city called Mecca in 570 AD. When he was 40 years old, he had what he called an appearance from an angel to him. Uh, of course, to understand the culture at that time, it was a Bedouin culture, the religion. 
people had many idols. They had over 360 idols. And they had a big shrine for those idols inside Mecca. And people, all tribes from the Middle East used to come throughout the Saudi Arabia Peninsula, used to come once a year at least to do the pilgrimage and offer their sacrifice to their idols. But around him also is not idols. He had Jews that was scattered because of persecution after the destruction of Jerusalem. So they were scattered throughout the area. Uh, so he had a lot of Jews around him. He had also Christians that uh, had the Bible around him. So he was exposed to both Jews and Christians. One of the groups that existed in that time is called the Ebionite sect. And the Ebionite was a kind of a Christian cult. They believed uh, in a partial gospel, the partial book of Matthew, and it was a corrupted version of the book of Matthew. And they had a lot of ideas from Christianity, like uh, Jesus was a prophet who was born from a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He performed miracles, but they did not believe in his uh, deity as God, and they did not believe in his crucifixion and resurrection. And we see that transferred exactly the same way to Islam. And that's what Muslims believe until today. So when you read the Quran in the early stage, Muhammad was surrounded with Jews and Christians, and he had those ideas. And in the beginning, he used to listen to stories from Jews and come back and say, okay, I, the angel came and gave me this source. So you will see a lot of stories from the Old Testament in the Quran. As a matter of fact, about 70% of the Quran is taking out of the Bible the New Testament and Old Testament, but most of the time it's twisted and corrupted, not accurate accounts. Uh, fast forward, Muhammad was born uh, in a tough family situation. His father died before he was born, and uh, from history, from the Quran itself, we know that Muhammad's father died four years before he was born. I see the question mark in your face, how his father died four years before he was born. This is one of the miracles in Islam, by the way, that they believe that his mother was able to conceive for four years. Uh, well, it's not our topic today, but uh, this is some of the conceptions. And Muslims are taught to believe what they hear. No question asked. If you ask any question or if you discuss it or search it, God will get angry and will increase the punishment on you. That's why Muslims are afraid to ask any question. And Islam is a religion based of fear. They are, they are fearful of God because to them, God is that ultimate power that's waiting for them to make a mistake and then he can punish them. So we try to make him happy, get him out of our shoulder and make peace with him at any cost. But they don't understand the relationship with God as a loving father. That doesn't exist in Islam. And that's one of the things, by the way, that uh, attract Muslims to, to the Lord Jesus. When we talk about a relational God that who loves us and he wants to, to enjoy the relationship with us and wants us to enjoy the fellowship with him, that's a new concept for them. And I see a lot of Muslims coming to Christ because of that concept. So when we talk about grace and we talk about uh, love and we talk about a relationship uh, with our Lord, uh, that's all new to them. That's all new concept to them. And uh, in Islam, 
it's uh, a work-based religion. So what they want to do is they want to satisfy God and and his demands. He say, do this, he, they will do it, and they try to do more. And at the end, they believe in the scale theology. So at the end, God will balance the scale and see how much good deeds have you done and how much bad deeds you had. And if your bad deeds is higher than your good deeds, then you're going to go to horrible eternity. But anyway, back to the question that you asked me, what about Mecca? Yes. Uh, and I thank you for asking this question. Throughout the history, Muslim believed that uh, Mecca is what we know today in Saudi Arabia. And that's why they do the pilgrimage in the pilgrimage season in Saudi Arabia. And uh, like I shared with you in the beginning, Muslims uh, try to hide every evidence in history and rewrite history to make us believe what they say. For example, uh, when they went to Alexandria, when they took over Egypt in the 7th century, they burned the entire library because they found books doesn't agree with Islam. And Alexandria Library was one of the greatest educational center in the world at that time. They burned the entire library. When they went to Iran, they did the same. But uh, anyway, in the first hundred years of history of Islam, uh, Muslim always, when they build a mosque, they have what they call Al-Qibla, which is the direction the leader of the prayer will face that direction and everyone will follow him and face that direction. So it's always toward Mecca until today. So if you go to any mosque, you'll find that they face Mecca today. Okay, Samuel, I'm going to have to cut you off because we need to go to a break. But, folks, you're getting a wonderful history lesson here, and we'll be back in just a few moments again with Samuel Hakeem. This is 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, you are listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and this is Pastor Clark Tanner, Northwest Executive Director for Pastor Serve. And my special guest today is Samuel Hakeem, founder of Redeeming the Nations. And Samuel, before the break, we were talking about uh, Mecca, and you were explaining uh, a number of things about it. And so I want us to go ahead and pick up that conversation kind of where we left off. So go ahead and begin to talk about it, would you please? Uh, thank you, my Clark. Uh, yes, Mecca is the birthplace of Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, and the birthplace of uh, the religion of Islam. And uh, people think that Mecca is the Mecca that we know today in Saudi Arabia. Historically, it's different. And uh, uh, the first hundred years of Islam, all the mosques, we were talking about the Qibla in Islam or the, when Muslim pray and they face towards Mecca. Uh, in the first hundred years of Islam, the remnants of the mosque they found from that era is always pointing to a different place. That's about 1,300 kilometers north of Mecca today. It's not in Saudi, it's actually in Jordan. Uh, a researcher from Canada, his name is Dan Gibson, have done a great uh, job on doing that uh, documentary. He spent about 30 years of his life studying Islam and the history of Islam, and he spent a lot of time in uh, Jordan and Saudi Arabia. And he used modern-day technology like satellites and infrared and all that stuff. And he was able to bring us a book called The Geography of Islam. That changed everything that we know about Islam and the history of Islam. 
based on that book, he produced another documentary video that's available on, on YouTube. It's called The, Sec- uh, the Sacred City. And in that movie, he brings evidence that Mecca, the original Mecca, that the Quran was talking about it, the description doesn't fit by any means Mecca in the middle of the desert in Saudi Arabia today. It's more a perfect fit uh, for Petra in Jordan. So Petra in Jordan? It's supposed to be the birthplace of Islam. Of course, a lot of Muslims doesn't want that because if they believed in that, that will change their concept completely. And Saudi Arabia especially is not going to like that because the source of income, number one source of income for Saudi is not oil. It's uh, uh, religious tourism. All the pilgrimage uh, that's going through the Mecca and Medina. So, All right. Well, I'm going to be at uh, Petra in April. And let me tell you that when I'm there, I'm going to look at it from a new perspective. I tell you that I'm looking forward to visit Petra sometime soon and uh, have a first-hand experience and, and and try to search that myself too. All right. Well, listen, let's transition just a little bit here, uh, Samuel. And would you agree with the statement that the Muslim world is coming to the United States? Absolutely. It's not only to the United States. Uh, our traditional thinking when we think about Islam and Muslims is the Middle East and North Africa. But... Uh, because of uh, the modernization that we have uh, and because of the political pressure and the economic pressure in the Middle East, a lot of Muslims are leaving the Middle East and moving somewhere else. Europe has over 50 to 60 million Muslims. United States and Canada, at least about 10 to 12 million. So we have Muslims getting scattered globally, all over the, the globe. Okay, so as Christians, our goal... Uh, should be to be able to talk to them about the Lord, about Jesus. Uh, but how do we connect and how do we build a relationship with them? The biggest two obstacles we have as a church is fear and lack of knowledge. Uh, many Christians are afraid to talk to Muslims. That fear is stopping us from sharing the good news. And the other obstacle is fear on their side. They are afraid to, to deal with us. They come to the West and they have an agenda as strong Muslims. They have an agenda to Islamize the West because in their belief that the whole world should submit to the God of Islam and to the religion of Islam. The whole world originally was created as Muslim world. Even Jesus Christ, they believed in his second coming, but they believe that he's going to come back as a Muslim. Okay, so, so so if we have uh, we have our fear as Christians and they have, they have their fear and they have their fear, how do we bring this together? Well, the Lord did not give us the spirit of fear. If we understand God's love for Muslims, we are not trying to to fight with them. We are trying to share good news. The gospel is the good news, and what is the good news? That God loves us. And we don't have to go to hell, not based on our work, but based on our faith on what Jesus has done for us. This is the good news. God loves us. And Muslims love to hear that. So when we start building the relationship, that's important. The biggest obstacle we have after fear is lack of knowledge. Number one, we don't know the Bible very well. If we know the Bible, we'll understand the Great Commission and our role. So we need to go back to that. And uh, we don't know anything about Islam. And that's not a problem anymore because we have a lot of qualified people 
to teach the local church about Islam, the religion, the culture, the language, what to do, what not to do. That's not an obstacle anymore if we are willing to reach out to them. But so we have to look at the Great Commission carefully. And obviously, you have a lot of materials that are available, uh, pamphlets. Uh, you can suggest different books, things of that nature to be able to read. Uh, so if somebody's out here listening today and they would like to contact you, uh, how would they do that? Uh, through our website and our phone number is available. Our email address is available. Uh, our email address is info at rtnm.org, Redeeming the Nations Ministry.org. Or our phone number, 503-533-5133. The website is very simple, rtnm.org. They can go to the website and find the information. And we praise God uh, since uh, September 11, the Lord have used us uh, heavily to educate the church about Islam and uh, similarities and differences between Christianity and Islam. So we do a lot of workshops and seminars throughout the United States, not only in the local area. So I'm assuming that you would, uh, just from your statement, that you would be willing to accept an invitation to come to a local church and to teach classes on that. Absolutely. I would love that. I would love to stand shoulder to shoulder with the church, the local body of Christ, to accomplish the Great Commission. We don't want to to defeat the Muslims. We want to win them to Christ. We want to share the love of God with them. That's our goal. And so what kind of materials do you have available that you could send out to people? Well, send out is is a little bit different because there is a lot of information on the Internet. But what we focus on, because we cannot do every good thing ourselves, there's a lot of books in the market. So we are not attempting to write another book, but we focus more on working with the local church and doing seminars and workshops. Uh, in the local church, and we can customize it, especially in the local area. When I go to another state for sake of time and cost, we try to do it as a Friday night, Saturday seminar. Local area, we can do it this way, or we can customize it to the local need, and we can do it as a Bible study for four or five weeks uh, in the middle of the week. So if we, um, uh, kind of pulling this all together this afternoon, uh, thinking about redeeming the nations, and if there's people out here that would like to support this ministry, you know, how do they do that? Uh, kind of what what would you suggest? And I would assume number one is that you would want them praying. For Absolutely, the there is a lot of challenges that we face, and anyone who have been in uh, in that place will understand the spiritual warfare. Will understand the challenges. There is always a risk in in reaching out to Muslims. And we rely heavily on the prayer of the body of Christ and the protection of the Lord for us and the the team that works uh, in the ministry. But also, uh, financially, TV programs cost a lot of money. It's not a cheap ministry uh, to do, uh, and it takes a lot of resources. And we pray that that will come from the body of Christ. Also, if somebody wants to volunteer, especially we have a great need in office administration, if somebody is willing to volunteer some time in office administration. We would love to hear from them. Okay, let me have you go ahead one more time and give them that contact information uh, that uh, where they can reach you. The name of the ministry is Redeeming the Nation's Ministries, and you can Google that, or uh, the website is R, as in Robert, T as in Tom, N as in Nurse, M as in Mary, dot org, R-T-N-M dot org, and there you will find the information. 
The email address is info at rtnm.org. The phone number is very easy. 503-533-5133. Well, listen, Samuel, thank you for your heart, for your passion. And today we've been talking with Samuel Hakeem, founder of Redeeming the Nations. And Samuel, your passion uh, to the uh, Redeeming the Nations is very obvious. And again, we want to say thank you for uh, your faithfulness, for your consistency, and uh, just ask God's blessing upon your ministry as you continue on in the years and God gives you. Thank you, Clark. It's a, it's a joy to be here with you, and thank you for your invitation. Well, listen again. This is uh, Pastor Clark Tanner uh, with the Georgine Rice uh, Show this afternoon. And our guest has been Sam Lukim, founder of Redeeming the Nations. And uh, what an enlightening time this has been. And again, Samuel, thank you for joining us. God bless you. And uh, thank you again for our time together. Welcome. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, my name is Clark Tanner, and I appreciate the opportunity to host the Georgine Rice Show today for the vacationing Georgine Rice. And uh, my special guest today is Pastor Gabe uh, Kolstad. Uh, Gabe, you served as the uh, lead pastor at the Westside Community Church on, here in Portland, out on the West Side. And uh, it's great to have you as a guest today. And I'd just love to hear you talk a little bit about, you know, how long have you been at the church and how did you become involved? Yeah, well, it's great to be here with you. Thanks, Clark. I've been at the church actually for 20 years, and as I look back, it seems impossible it's been that long, but uh, served on staff for nine years there before becoming the lead pastor, and uh, really uh, got involved because uh, my father-in-law was the lead pastor at that time, and my wife and I were really seeking God's direction for the right place to serve after graduation from college here at Multnomah University in Portland. And uh, we we wanted to be a part of something in the city. Uh, we wanted to be a part of getting uh, getting the church in a position to to reach the community again. And, and so we got invited to be a part of that and have just enjoyed every step of the way. Okay, so this is kind of unusual when you begin talking about... Uh... Uh, apparently, your your father in law still uh, serving with you, or still serving with me, part of the uh, as the uh, church. And so, how does that work uh, uh, in that relationship? Uh, that's a good question, and we get that question a lot, actually, because you know, uh, yeah, it is a little bit unusual for father in law, son in law to have a good working relationship, which is, I guess, kind of a shame that that's unusual, but. For us, uh, I think it goes all the way back. You know, my, my story definitely would not be complete without his story, and we've just built so many things together. We we really um, started working together very closely in those early days, and uh, for, for me, probably what was the most exciting thing in the beginning was uh, just his willingness to uh, invite me in and give me just a ton of rope in the beginning days of what he felt God's call was on turning the church around and and really um, investing in the community and uh, trying new things. And that was, that's my language, try new things. And so we got a chance to do so many fun things. And that, that just really paved the way for a, re, a mutual respect and honor. So and, it sounds like that uh, he really has served kind of as a mentor for you in many ways. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Still is, 100%. He's okay, and, such and a great do, you, do you share some of the preaching and the teaching time as well? Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, he'll be preaching here this weekend. Oh, well, yeah. good. All yeah. right. So, well, listen, uh, as we think about the church, uh, think about the community that you're involved in, you know, what's the one thing that just excites you today about the church? Uh, I would say uh, 
one thing's hard. Two things. One one of them is the the amount of collaboration that we see happening in the Portland area and that we get to be a part of as a church. It's really exciting to see, you know, when you look at scripture and you see the way the church functioned in those early days in scripture, I feel like there's a part of that happening in our city and uh, you know, regardless of tribe or size or style, it seems like there's a, a real desire among pastors and church leaders to work together for the common good and for the same goal. So I love that. We get a chance to do a lot of that. And then secondly, for me personally, I'm wired a little bit as an evangelist. And so whenever we see somebody say yes to Jesus, yeah. we, we watch somebody um, step across the line of faith and we, and we see the, the, the gospel start to take root in their hearts. We see um, you know, a new passion and all sorts, just new life. I love it. And and so that's the thing that really is my fuel. Okay. Yeah. And uh, uh, thinking about people coming to Christ, uh, do you see the millennials coming today? Is it across the board? You know, when the scripture talks about when Jesus is lifted up, all people will be drawn to you. Yeah. And uh, so kind of, who do you see coming today? Yeah, I'd say it's a good cross-section. It seems like um, kids, students, young adults, adults. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a good cross-section. All right, good. Well, listen, one of the things that you've talked about is that uh, you've led some churches through, um, you know, from turnaround to uh, relocation to multi-site. And so w- what does it take, uh, from your perspective, uh, to take a church uh, from a, to a turnaround position to a relocation and multi-site? Uh, because I assume that we probably have some people, some listeners today are thinking, man, uh, I wouldn't even know where to start if we're going to start talking about a turnaround or a relocation or a multi-site. Mm-hmm. So uh, where, where do you start with something like that? That's a good question. Um, you know, maybe zooming out a little bit to the church member perspective for somebody who's listening that maybe attends a church and, and has a great passion for their church, really wants to see God move. I think Part of it is just that unselfish attitude that it takes from the, the people, the pastor, the staff, the uh, everybody involved, just an unselfish attitude to, to go, this isn't mine, I'm not trying to control it. And um, and that has to be true for everybody. I think uh, long-term perspective is a real important piece. Uh, you know, sometimes when we get involved in something, if we're not willing to stay for the long haul, it's really difficult to see uh, big things happen in churches. The church moves slow, and we know that. Yeah. And and we have to have some patience, I think. And so, just a long term perspective. Um, yeah, those are those are a couple pieces. The other, the other thing, really, probably be it's got to be a team. It's got to be teamwork. We've got to got to learn how to bring people into the circle and um, share the load. Okay. And all those things uh, they take a lot of time and a lot of energy. Yeah. Well, I know that you're involved in multi site, uh, and and. How does that work for you? Uh, it seems like it should take a lot of time and being able to plan, coordinate, and all that. Yeah. Uh, was that a vision that you had? Is that something that just uh, uh, God brought your way? How, how did this all take place? Yeah, it, it was a vision. We uh, Our church original location is in uh, the town of Aloha. Uh, and if you're not from Portland, you say Aloha. But if you're from <laughs> especially the west side of Portland, you say Aloha. And uh, and so we have had great ministry there, a lot of fruit, a uh, lot of opportunity to serve, and yet at the same time had a vision for the broader city of Portland, and really didn't know how to how to implement that vision. And uh, and then one uh, opportunity that came up was to start a new location, a little closer to the city, and so we did that for that reason um, to really just to to reach toward the city. Um, so that's how that came up. You know, in terms of how it works functionally, uh, 
we we have just a great team of people. Some of them are on staff. Some of them are volunteers. And uh, some of them have been believers for a long time, some not for so long. And God's just done some great work. And uh, so we share we share the same DNA. Um, for us, one thing that's helpful is that we do have a centralized teaching team. So when uh, we're getting ready to do message prep planning, even further out, um, we're all thinking really along the same lines of what the, what the goals are, what we're going to be talking about, and some of those things. And then there's just some, some real practical tools that keep us connected on a week-to-week basis. So when you talk about a, the teaching team, then uh, you're not doing video live at one location, video at another it sounds like there is. It's uh, live at both. Oh locations. no, no, it is. It is video. It is video. Yeah, it is video. Um, but I'm not the only one that teaches, and so, uh, and I'm also not the only one that, that studies and prepares. So we really um, have a group of us that uh, work together to to try and you know provide teaching for our church. You know, every once in a while, I hear people say, "I I don't know about that video. I, I like to have somebody that's live in front of me." Uh, how did you get over that hurdle? Um, I think that one of the interesting things that happens is that once uh, video starts, uh, as a matter of fact, it doesn't matter what church you're in, if, they're, if the person who's speaking is on the screen, most of us do the same thing. We look at the screen yeah. because uh, that's where we can see the facial expressions and we can see um, you know, different things that, that may be a prop or whatever. And so what we find is, is that it's, it's uh, uh, pretty quickly uh, people are you know, looking at the screen anyways. Uh, we spend so much time on video. As people, most of our uh, days are filled with screen time, and and so one of the things we're realizing is that just like uh, radio, as an example, is a tool that at one time was controversial. Um, you know, in in the same way, video in in many churches is becoming an opportunity because uh, it's the it's a unified voice, and it gives people a connection to to something that's you know a little bit bigger than one location. Well, and I think with technology, I mean, it, it's just. Uh is so real uh, when you when you look at a screen today, yeah. uh, which is a, is another part of it. So, um, but I would assume that the music. Uh, do you use a, a different music team each week, or how does that work for you? Yeah, a different music team at each location, and um, you know, and the, and the teams just kind of are, are uh, homegrown. So, uh, however, the worship leader and and band choose to schedule. But uh, yeah, it's all local and live, obviously, on the music side. Okay, do you find this as being a little more work for you than? It used to be when you were just by yourself? <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> One of the things uh, on the yes side, yeah, there's a lot of detail. Um, but the no side is there's just more people involved. So there's more of us carrying the load. And and so the, I think the difference is we have to think ahead a lot further than we used to. And okay. and so there's no, you can't really do a, a Saturday night change as easily. Yeah. So, yeah. and uh, so how far out are you planning when you do your, your work like that? Um, well, we try to plan at least six months out in terms of what we're thinking about, um, preaching things and themes at least, and then we're about four months out on some of the details. Okay. All right. Well, hey, well, listen, folks, we're here today with uh, uh, Pastor Gabe uh, Colsad. Uh, he's the lead pastor at the Westside Community Church, and we'll be back in just a few moments. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, church planting and uh, church life here in the Portland in the, in the Northwest. And we're glad that you're with us on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, we're back with Pastor Gabe Kolstad, who is the pastor at the uh, Westside Community Church here in uh, Portland, Oregon. And uh, we're going to be talking on this uh, second part, uh, second theme here today, talk a little more about uh, church planting and the involvement 
of uh, what churches are doing together here in the community. Gabe, again, it's good to have you with us. And um, I know that I read in your bio uh, that you talked about uh, two forces that really drive you. One would be uh, to see new churches planted, and secondly, uh, connecting with leaders to make a difference in the Portland uh, uh, area and here in uh, in the Northwest. So uh, before we talk about church planning a little bit, let me let me just first ask you, you know, what's happening among churches here in Portland? I've got several questions I'm just going to throw in here all at one time. That's good. Uh, is there a new effort of churches working together? You know, how are they working together? Are churches supporting one another? I mean, we're in the greatest work in the world as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And rather than seeing it as a competitive thing, I think we need to be praying for one another, encouraging one another, and doing whatever we can to support each other just to be able to see God's kingdom grow. So talk a little bit about uh, what you see today uh, in the way of uh, the cooperation of churches, uh, especially here in the Portland area. Yeah, I think, uh, to answer your question, yeah, I think there is a new effort. Uh, I, I don't know that it's so much effort. It's uh, it's almost a response, I think, to something that God has been Good. doing. And that's been that's been the real joy is to look around and, you know, it, this is something that we want to do. Um, I kind of got to rewind to 2008 or so, 2007, 2008, when uh, the Palau Association team, the Palau team, was really getting ready for the City Fest that was happening and decided to take a different approach of really unifying churches around the idea that we could serve the community together in preparation for this City Fest. And so that's really where we started to see. In fact, I was sitting down with Kevin Palau the other day talking about this. That's that's really where we see a shift that's happened is that there was a, 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 an effort that was started at that point that has really caught on. And it's become now not a program, not a plan. It's just a part of the culture in our city that uh, church leaders want to connect, that we're seeing um, our common ground in Jesus. And uh, and so we're looking past what maybe used to be dividing lines to, to, to say, hey, we're on the same team. We have the same goal. We serve the same Jesus. And, uh, and so we share a lot in common. And, and so right now, there are um, almost just outbreaks of unity happening that's just so beautiful around the city. It's, it's more than anyone can keep track of. And, and so there's multiple groups trying to, trying to map it, trying to get our arms around it. And the truth is it's, it's just beyond control. And that's just a wonderful thing. Well, you know, the, the Northwest has always been talked about as one of the most unchurched areas. Yeah. And I don't know if that uh, statement is still true or not. How do you respond to that? I think it still is true. And I think what's the difference now is that if the soil was, was hard 10 years ago, I think we're in a place right now where the soil is ready. And we're seeing more evangelistic fruit because of that. You know, that, that when Jesus said, when, uh, when we show love to one another, people are going to believe that he is the one he said he was. And I think that that's happening. So when when we get together and we're not fighting against each other, instead we're working together towards something that blesses the city, um, that just really speaks to a city like Portland. All right. That, I'm excited to hear that. Just really uh, pleased to know that that type of thing's happening. So <clears throat> what is happening in the way of church planting? Let's talk about that uh, for a little bit. I know that you have been involved in it and are currently involved. Uh, what do you see happening here? Well, I think I see uh, a lot of... Uh, interest in Portland. In fact, there's, there's a lot of interest in planting churches for Portland f- from even outside, outside, outside churches, outside from states far away. 
Um, and so we're definitely seeing that. We're also seeing that as that's happening, there's so many different groups talking about church planting in Portland um, that now we're starting to talk to each other. And again, sort of like the whole collaboration thing in serving the city, this is now starting to be a conversation that many have prayed for, many have longed for, myself included, mm-hmm. to see something happen where it's more than just. Now, we, we, need, we need all kinds of church planters for Portland. We need people coming in from outside. Absolutely. That needs to keep happening. We also need to figure out how do we raise up our own church planters for our city. So we're seeing some of that happen now. There's multiple groups working toward this. And uh, and we have just put our kind of uh, hand in the middle as well and started something called Multiply PDX. Yeah, we'll, along, along we'll talk with a number about that, would you please? Yeah. Multiply. So Multiply PDX is really just a coalition of churches that uh, that all have the same desire, which would be to see more healthy churches. And uh, and so we've put together just a small group of churches to, to try uh, adding fuel to the fire. And uh, our goal would be to find and raise up church planters and then collaboratively to bring things to the table. I, th- I always compare it to the story of stone soup. Do you know that story? Mm-hmm. Uh, where, you know, you got these guys coming into a city and they, they needed to eat. And so they said, well, we need to make soup. And they didn't have anything. One of them picked up a rock and said, well, I got a rock. And then, you know, they took it to the townspeople and they found carrots and celery and the meat and all that stuff. Well, in a way, it's the same thing is that some churches have a residency program and some churches have um, a strong discipleship plan and some churches have cash that they want to put into church planting and some and some churches have a building. Uh, and, and, you know, if we can just all get together, we're probably going to have the recipe and all the ingredients to start a new church. And so we're excited about what's going on. There are a number of church planters in the pipeline. Um, one most recently has come forth, and we're excited about some new stuff that's going to be happening in the Vancouver area. Okay. And, yeah, so good things. So what about uh, downtown Portland? We see a lot of, uh, you know, condos being built today. Uh, the cranes are all over the downtown area. Uh, is there an effort to... Uh, to reach into the inner city uh, to uh, reach people for Jesus. Yeah, I think there really is. And that's a number of the new churches that have been planted are in the city. Now, that's hard. Uh, and and if you know somebody who's planting a church in the city, like in the actual city of Portland, in the, in the city limits, um, they need extra prayer. They need extra money. <laughs> they need extra just encouragement because it's harder, it's slower, it's smaller oftentimes. Not, not all the time. That's not always true. There are a number of examples uh, where, where God has just moved in massive, amazing ways. But in general, we know it's harder to do something inside the city limits, just with expenses and mentality and all, all the different things. So if somebody's listening and would like to know more about the uh, church planning effort, uh, is it okay to contact you? You bet, yeah. And how would they do that? There's two ways. You could go to multiplypdx.com. Uh, which is a new website that we've set up, and and we'd love to connect with you there. Or you could just connect with me directly at uh, gabekolstad.com. Okay. Yeah. Well, as we think about the the church planning efforts, uh, one of the things that you're a part of is the uh, uh, organization, the Unstuck Church or... Unstuck Group. Unstuck yep. Group, excuse me, uh, by Tony Morgan. And I, I think you're flying out today to go and be trained and equipped uh, uh, are you pulling some of that back here into the Northwest, or is that more of a national thing that you're involved yeah, with? Yeah, no, we really are. Um, and so, you know, Tony Morgan uh, is a leader that started something called the Unstuck Group, just out of a heart for helping churches that really want to fulfill the Great Commission and and for whatever reason feel stuck. And so we uh, we help churches get unstuck. 
And that's one of the things that I do uh, just as a part of my ministry outside of the four walls of our church. Um, and, and so we help churches kind of here, near and far uh, all across the country, really around the world now. And, uh, and so we've helped a number of Northwest churches with the Unstuck group. And, and that's always very exciting. We're bringing those principles, obviously, into our own experience at Westside and any other churches that we get a chance to bless with those principles and, and uh, the ideas. Uh, but, the, but the truth is that uh, doing what we do as followers of Christ in a group is, is almost in some ways very weird. Hmm. You know, if you think about it, what, what we do as Christians, it's unique. There aren't a lot of other organizations that are like that in the world. And so it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of prayer and a lot of, a lot of just going back to God's word and, and then looking at what are some wisdom principles that we find that we can put into place. So as we talk about churches being stuck, uh, is there one thing that you find that's kind of common among all the churches uh, as far as a starting point to say, you know what, here's where we really need to start uh, to be able to look and to be able to move forward? Is there something there that, that, that you can Yeah, there, there are definitely a few factors. I think okay. one of them is uh, probably painfully obvious, but a clear vision is super important. And one of the things that happens is is when we're in a place of either whether it be conflict or difficulty, trial, depends on what the external factors have been that have led to the church feeling stuck. But uh, it's hard to come up with a vision when you're when you're in the middle of a conflict or when uh, you just really are in crisis. And so sometimes it's about just creating some space for ourselves to, to go back to God and, and ask that question again. God, what do you want to do in this church and in this place? That's a big one. Uh, team unity is absolutely 100% essential. There is no way to get unstuck without team unity. Okay. And is there a, a length of time that's involved in this, or uh, can sometimes it just happen very quickly, or maybe sometimes it takes a while to be able to work through some of these issues? Yeah, I can tell you that in our churches, in my own experience uh, serving at our church before I was the lead pastor, we spent seven years uh, working a process similar to this, and uh, I think that's sometimes it takes that long. Um, others I've seen work the process in a couple of years. Usually there's iterations of it. You know, it's, it's almost like uh, we, we really think of it as strategic planning. The work is never done. And, uh, and so it's, I think it's about some new tools, a new mindset, um, and probably some new disciplines that we install into our lives. Yeah, well, you know, I always tell people that generally you didn't get into this situation overnight. And so it's not going to happen. It's going to be a long process. And so uh, it takes time to, to work through the issues and personalities and uh, unity and and then to be able to uh, even inform the congregation uh, yep. what's taking place and to be able to pull people in from there. So uh, any other insights that you want to share with us as we kind of wrap this uh, session up here talking about the church today and church planning? Yeah, I think uh, my my one takeaway when every time I talk about this is just I get so excited about what Jesus said. He said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I think so easy for us to look at what's not going well so much of the time, if you're a, a church member, if you're a leader in a church, if you're a pastor, um, it's so easy to look at what's not going well. And I think one of the things that we're trying to learn is how do we focus more on the positive? Because God is always doing something, and he's inviting us to join right. him in that work. And so, uh, you know, one question that I picked up from a, a, a couple guys named Chip and Dan Heath is, Rather than always looking at what's broken and how do we fix it, sometimes we need to ask the question, what's working well and how do we do more of that? Yeah. And so that's, that's been my approach personally. Well, you know, it's, it's always exciting to see what God is doing in the church. And so uh, today uh, we've been talking uh, again with Pastor Gabe 
uh, Colstad about the church, uh, local church, as well as the uh, greater church here uh, in the Portland area and in the Northwest. Uh, Gabe has written uh, several articles, and as soon as we come back uh, from our break, we're going to spend some time talking about uh, the ways of uh, helping pastors and other people fight discouragement and to be able to move forward in uh, God's church. Again, uh, we're glad you're with us today. This is 93.9 KPDQ, and we'll be back uh, after this break. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. My name is Pastor Clark Tanner, and I appreciate the opportunity for filling in for the vacationing uh, Georgine Rice on the show today. And our special guest again is Pastor Gabe Kolstad. And uh, Gabe is a pastor here in the Portland area out on the west side at the uh, West Side Community Church, uh, works with multi-sites, has a heart for uh, planting churches. And another part of his life is uh, really a concern uh, for pastors and for encouraging them uh, in the work that they do. So, Gabe, it's good to have you with us. Thank you. Uh, We're glad to uh, hear your insights and just to know that I believe you said 20 years that you have been uh, pastoring here in the the Portland area. And that longevity means a lot. Uh, You've been able to see a lot of things. You've been able to meet a lot of people. And um, one of the things that you have been doing is uh, writing some articles. Uh, One of those articles is Four Ways to Fight Discouragement. Um, I'm with an organization called Pastor Serve, and working with pastors, uh, we find discouragement all the time. In fact, uh, if you uh, look at uh, some of the statistics, and depending upon the people that you talk to, Uh, Some of them will say that there's like 1,500 pastors uh, that are leaving the ministry every month. And whether it's more than that or less than that, we know it's still too many. Uh, And they're discouraged and uh, 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 they're isolated. Uh, They they deal with uh, some insecurities in life. And when you put all that together, uh, boy, it can be a difficult thing. And so in an article, you talked about these four ways to fight discouragement. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, your thoughts of uh, helping people through times of discouragement, especially pastors, uh, church leaders. And so what have you found, uh, and, and what's your thinking about uh, helping guys overcome uh, this discouragement, men and women? Yeah, I, I, one of the things that probably is real common is that it's when somebody is more isolated that they feel more discouraged. and. Uh, as one example, our church is not a part of a denomination. We're an independent community church. And so we, we, we aren't, you know, in a denomination where there would be like, let's say, a, a structure for providing certain things for the pastors and stuff like that. And so we've noticed that we have to go find those things. And if we don't, we, we, we end up feeling isolated. Whenever we feel isolated, it's just easier to get discouraged. Uh, so that might be one of the things that I would encourage uh, those who are listening who are, maybe you're in ministry, is just think about what you, what's your relational network like and who do you have that you can connect with where you can find some encouragement. And uh, that's probably important for pastors to realize is that we have to, it's just like if you're a Christian and, you know, you're, you're going to a church and you're saying, hey, you, you're not feeding me, you know, really the answer is, well, we're Christians. We have to feed ourselves. We've got to learn to feed ourselves. Well, also as pastors or as people in, in ministry serving in any role, uh, we got to learn how to encourage ourselves. So how do you do that has been one of my own personal journeys. Okay. And so in this article uh, that I have in front of me that you had uh, uh, written uh, several months ago, you talk about in times of stress and challenge, 
or setback, here are four ways to fight discouragement. And uh, so the first thing you talk about uh, is encourage yourself with God's Word. Let's mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, man, how easy it is to get in a place where I'm familiar with God's Word, I'm in it a lot because I teach it, because I study it, because you know I encourage other people to study it. But if we're not careful as pastors, what can happen is it can become a, kind of a part of a routine that no longer uh, reaches really the same part of our hearts. Sometimes it only reaches our heads. And uh, and so I think we've got to work harder at uh, developing this discipline in our lives and making sure that uh, that God's Word for me isn't just a tool, right? That it's, that it's personal. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I always think about David when he was fighting, when he was discouraged, and the Bible says that he found strength in the Lord his God, and he had to go get it. And um, for me, that's been, um, you know, a part of a daily rhythm as well as uh, one of the things that I try to do is about once a month, I try to take a day just to decompress, and uh, just having a little bit of white space to do that for me is really important. I'm wired as a thinker. So if I'm not careful, the thoughts can all just build up so high, you know, and you, and you can get just get so full of all that stuff that sometimes we just need to kind of just wash ourselves clean with a day just of decompressing with God's word, with just um, some reflection time and, and some of those things. So that's been an important piece. You know, me. I always think about in my own personal life, uh, and I'd love to tell you I do this every day. Sometimes I don't do, uh, I don't do it, but uh, spending time in God's word and, and you know, just taking that time to just to read the scriptures. And it's always interesting to me how that uh, uh, God's word always speaks to my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always something that, that comes, that kind of leaps off the page, that ministers to my soul. And uh, so exactly what you're talking about is that we need to spend that time, not just for the, the study, especially as pastors, uh, but just to be able to let God's word really speak and let the Holy Spirit um, take his word and just... Uh, uh, speak that into our hearts and minds so yeah. we can move through. For, for so. me, one of the things that helps a lot is, is and this is a style thing, not everybody loves it, but I love journaling. And mm-hmm. so for me, you know, I just get in, in uh, and just I'm, I'm writing, and I'm just writing until something hits my heart, and, and I feel that connection again That's with true. God. Okay. All right. So one of the things, then, uh, is encourage yourself with God's Word. Uh, secondly, you talk about uh, tell someone that you trust. Yeah. Uh, which is hard. It's so hard. And, and and here's where the struggle happens for anybody who's a leader is that you feel like, well, can I really tell someone that I'm discouraged if I'm the leader? Because then they're going to look at me like, well, you're discouraged. Well, then then we're all going to be discouraged. You know, so it's finding the right person to share your discouragement with. Um, you know, I mentioned in this article that even just mentioning it, even just saying it out loud can just relieve some pressure um, and, and so I think it's about having one or two or three people in your life that, you know, you can be hundred percent honest with, um, it's, it's, it's helpful to find another pastor if you're a pastor, because they can kind of understand what you're going through. Um, and if you're in, in a situation, finding a peer is just really important, really helpful. Uh, so for me, I've got a, a number of people around me that I know I can just be honest with, and I can just share, uh, whatever the discouragement is coming from. And, and I mean, I love one pastor was asked, do you ever think about quitting? And he said, only every, only every Monday, you know, only every Monday. It's, and that's, that's often how it is. It's like, man, every week brings new challenges. And so having a place to land those challenges. Is yeah. You know, one of the statements you made here, and I don't know where you, and this is original with you, or you found it someplace else, 
uh, you're only as sick as your secrets. Yeah, that's uh, that's a recovery uh, saying. Is that where it comes yeah. from? Okay, all right. And I, I love that. I love that when you think about it. It's got a lot of pizzazz to it and uh, really, really spoke to me when I, when I first read that. Um, where do you find those trusted friends? Now, you've talked about your wife, mm-hmm. um, some other pastors possibly, but for somebody that's listening today and says, man, I don't trust hardly anyone, um, how do they go about that? That's a great question. Um, I probably wouldn't start on Twitter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I would I would look around. I mean, if you're a pastor at a church, I would I would look around at who's around the city, what, who's showing up at meetings, uh, who's who's doing some of the same things that you're doing. Um, you know, if you're in a denomination, who's available that you can reach out to? If you're not, you know, shoot, reach out to Pastor Serve or some other similar organization because uh, there's there's going to be somebody out there if it's not natural in your current environment. Um, that's no excuse. I think we've got to get ourselves in connection with somebody. And, and it's probably going to start out kind of clunky, honestly. Uh, it's a little clunky at first. If it's not a person you've known for a long time, it's going to feel clunky. Yeah. But that's better than uh, putting it off. Yeah, you know, and I think we've gone through a, a period of history uh, where some of the uh, people, especially in ministry, felt like, hey, I can't talk to anybody. I should carry this load myself. Uh, and I think there's been a lot of damage that's, that's come as a yeah. result of that. And hopefully today... Uh, we're seeing a, a new trend where uh, people are saying, hey, it's okay uh, to even have a, a, a counselor in my life, to have that mentor in my life, to have that friend in my life, somebody that, that I can really talk to. And I, 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 I would say that there's a younger generation that's coming along that's really saying, I need that type of thing. Uh, would you yeah, agree with that? I do agree with that. And, and that's, that's exciting when we see it. And I think one of the things we can do is if you have the opportunity to build that into your team, that's when it can become a part of a of an ongoing rhythm so that you're not going six months before you get to bear your soul to somebody. Uh, it's a weekly thing or maybe even more often. And, and I think you're right, Clark, that right now in this culture, it's much more normal for us to say, I, I got some stuff weighing me down and I need someone to talk to about it. And if we can build that into our teams, that's even better. Right. Uh, one of the other things you mentioned is do something fun. I mm-hmm. love this one. Uh, yeah. Do something fun. Talk about that. Yeah, I, I love fun. Uh, my wife and I just we try to weave that into our rhythm, just constantly looking forward to the next thing. And that's probably ministry has a way of kind of sucking the life out of your soul if you don't build in fun, because it's it's it, let's be honest, it's a lot of heavy work. It's um, it's day in and day out. They say Sunday rolls around with amazing regularity, and so we're always thinking about, oh man, I got another sermon to prepare and deliver, and then, oh, wow, and I've got all these appointments, and I've got, and there's a lot of pressure, and if we don't have some fun stuff planned, we can really get bogged down. Uh, fun stuff for me, uh, I love my day off, love my day off. My wife and I maximize it every week. Um, I try to go dark on technology. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to be um, uh, overly uh, unavailable to people who are close to me, but I am not available to my church on my day off, and, you know, those things are really important. So, Things around the city. We love to explore the city. You know, this is kind of our playground and always looking forward to the next restaurant to go to or the next hike to do or something like that. Okay, I love the fact you've uh, built those uh, boundaries into your life. And then the, the last one you talked about here in this article was start planning your next big thing. Yeah. Okay, so uh, my daughter's graduating next year and we've got a big trip planned. And all of us are thinking about it and planning it. We're so excited to sit down at dinner. That's all we can think about and talk about. It really p- brings a positive environment into our family. 
All right. Well, <clears throat> the article, Four Ways to Fight Discouragement, and uh, everybody goes through this. Uh, Gabe talks about encouraging yourself with God's Word. Uh, tell someone that you trust. Do something fun and start planning your next big thing. And so uh, right after our break, we're going to come back and talk a little more about uh, top uh, how leaders uh, finish well and how that they can stay fresh in ministry. Uh, but this is Clark Tanner, Pastor Clark Tanner at 93.9 KPDQ. Uh, we're going to be taking a break. We're with uh, uh, Gabe Kolstad, and uh, stay tuned as we wrap up our session today uh, talking about uh, how to stay fresh in ministry. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, welcome back to the Georgine Rice uh, radio show. And my name is Pastor Clark Tanner filling in for the vacationing Georgine Rice. And today we have Pastor Gabe Kolstad, uh, pastor, lead pastor at the Westside Community Church over on the west side of Portland in Aloha. And uh, Gabe, again, welcome back. It's just a joy to hear your heart and your passion for God's Word and for the church here in the Northwest, especially here in Portland. And uh, we've been talking a lot about the uh, 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 church planting. We've talked a little bit about the unstuck church. And uh, to, to wrap up this section today, we're going to be talking about uh, three things that top leaders do to stay fresh. And Gabe, the uh, uh, leadership guru, Peter Drucker, says, that the four hardest jobs in the United States are, number one, president of the United States, number two, being a university president, number three, CEO of a hospital, and number four, pastor of a local church. Wow. How do you respond to that? Well, I feel somehow validated by that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. But uh, yeah, he is. He had mentioned that. I heard that a few years ago, and uh, every time I share that with people, they go like, "Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that." And you mean it's that hard? Uh, you know, we've all heard the old jokes. Well, you only work two hours a right. week, yeah. and uh, uh, hopefully we're beyond that now. But that surfaces every once in a while. But churches have the world's greatest mission field in the world, and the greatest work. Uh, after all, we're talking about eternity. We're talking about souls that are at stake. And I know that, and you know, uh, churches need godly leaders. And to be a godly leader, uh, we need boundaries, and we also need to be able to stay fresh. Yeah. And so how do we do that today? Uh, it's not easy. Uh, so many things coming at us so fast. That's the problem, I feel, is that you always feel behind. And, and, and that would be true of anybody in any industry, I'm sure. And in a, in a volunteer organization, maybe it's... Um, amplified a little bit because we we have a a wide reach and uh and and we have a little less leverage in some ways and uh, way less control i would say uh and so we're always trying to figure out how do we accomplish the mission that god has for us um i think that for me i've i've found that i need to be on a personal growth plan in order to stay fresh. Uh, in other words, it, this is not going to happen by itself in my life. I have to be not only intentional, but really even systematic about it in my own life. Um, and, and looking around, you know, people I've observed locally, regionally, nationally, internationally, we're seeing the same thing, is that you've really got to work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Okay, well, one of the other uh, statistics that uh, LifeWay uh, has shared is that for every... 20 people who go into ministry, only one retires from it. Wow. And then he also add to that, uh, that 50%, 56% uh, 
of pastor's wives say that they are very lonely. Mm-hmm. And so when we combine all this together, I think it's uh, it just says, man, we need to do everything that we can. We really need to be proactive in being able to stay fresh in ministry. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the reality is that many times in ministry we are kind of isolated. Um, and so we need to bring people around us to encourage us and to be able to put us on, help us to be on some kind of a, a growth track. And so in one of your articles, you talked about uh, three things that top leaders do to stay fresh. And so uh, let's just uh, walk through those things uh, sure. as you think about them today and elaborate on them just a little bit. And hopefully that's something that we say will encourage somebody out there that uh, maybe just feels like, man, I've kind of gone stale. And these, if I put these things into my life, um, I can be can make a difference. Yeah. I think one thing that's not in the article, but that comes to mind as a really important step is I need some advocates in my life. Uh, and particularly if you're a pastor, some advocates on your board or your management team, or your leadership team, who also recognize your need to stay fresh and that that's a priority. Um, and when I say priority, I mean, financially, it's a priority for the church and in calendar wise, it's a priority for the church because to have to fight that battle all the time or to say, well, you know, if I just get up at three thirty in the morning instead, I can I can get a little quiet time in. I mean, th- that can get old real fast, and I think we need to make sure that it's woven into the fabric of the church in the expectations that we create uh, that we want fresh leaders. And nobody would say we don't want a fresh leader. So that'd be, I think, an, an important step. But there's a couple of pieces for me that have been real important. One is reflection, and I think about reflection as a habit. I think about it as something that I, I always want to do. I'm wired to want to reflect. So for me, that's really important. Um, but we know reflection isn't just for introverts. Uh, reflection is an important thing for everybody. And if we're not asking important questions on a regular basis and giving ourselves time to think about it, you know, you really think about it, it's, it's white space. Mm-hmm. We, we've got to have white space margin in order to be able to reflect and um a couple questions that I try to ask myself on a regular basis. This might be at the end of every day, week, month, quarter, and year for me. Uh, it would be one: How did it go? How, how have things gone? And um, you know, for me, that just triggers me to say, "Oh wow, well, this went well today, but this didn't. This didn't go well. That one conversation, and I didn't really prepare for it." And you know, and the second question would be, "What what would I do differently next time?" And that might be a conversation with my kids. Uh, that might be. Uh, maybe I didn't plan the details for an initiative out well enough and, it, and it, so it didn't land right. Or maybe it, it's something that uh, went fairly well, but it could have gone better if I did something different. I think just having time to, to sort of educate myself on how do I sharpen my own saw and how do I get better. So, um, so you're saying that, that these are some, a couple of questions that really you ought to uh, kind of process some kind of almost after every conversation or after the, after the day, or not just the big issues, but just kind of daily life. Yeah, yeah. For me, it, that's what uh, has been helpful, uh, is to try to become a reflective person uh, as much as possible, to have that, that reflex after an event, how did it go, what would I like to do differently next time? Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, I was with about 25 pastors not long ago on a, a trout fishing trip, and I tell you, these guys were wound up so, so tight. And what we were saying to him is that, hey, we really do want you to take some time. We want you to reflect. And I remember saying to them, okay, uh, shut your cell phones off. Um, but before you do that, go ahead and call your administrative assistant, call your wife. Uh, there will be an emergency number that you can give them. 
But I tell you what, they were wound up tight just trying to shut those phones off. Yeah. It was it was hard for them to do. Yeah. And uh, so when you talk about reflection, that's one of those things that we really do uh, need to look at. Um, let's talk about some other steps that you talk about uh, in the uh, in this uh, in your article about uh, even selection. Yeah. Uh, what's that all about? Selection, I think, is about us going. What do I want? And I think a lot of times, pastors, we were, were trained were uh, called uh, to ask, what does God want? And I think sometimes it's it's almost, uh, it seems like we're disobeying God if we ask the question, what do I want? And when I say, what do I want? It's it's the, okay, what does the Holy Spirit in me want? What does the new nature in me want? What is, what's the right thing for me to want? Somebody said recently, most people don't get what they want because most people don't know what they want. That's exactly and I think uh, if we aren't selecting a path, if we aren't saying, here's some goals, here's some specific objectives that I believe are godly goals for my life that I know God would want me to pursue, that under my leadership God would want our church to pursue, um, if we're not doing that, we're just leaving all sorts of fruit on the table. So I, I uh, personally am a very goal-driven person, um, and maybe not naturally, but at least as a learned skill as a leader, that you've got to be able to say, Here's what we're going to accomplish together, um, and here's why. Uh, so writing out goals, uh, re- revisiting goals, I think is, is a really, really important aspect to staying fresh because uh, we've got to know what's the what's the next hill we're going to take. Now, for me, I probably obsess a little too much on that at times, and my team balances me out, honestly, on that yeah. because I can be the kind of guy that only thinks about what's the next hill we're going to take and, and kind of dismisses the details of today. Um, but I think really for all of us, having some clean and clear, really good things, what what does God want me to do in the next year or three years or five years or ten years or hopefully all of the above, and what direction am I moving on that? Yeah. Because that's so do important. you find yourself, uh, are you pretty good at, at setting goals for a year, and then do you evaluate them quarterly, or how do you do that? Um, personally, I set goals more regularly than that. And uh, there's some great stuff I've read by a guy named Brian Tracy on goals. And he really encourages uh, a more of a daily process of re-clarifying every day and letting those things shift and morph as the days go by and not worrying about the fact that today I wrote down something slightly different than what I wrote down yesterday, because that's God's work in my life, helping me to kind of move toward what he wants. Um, As a church, we really function in three seasons, uh, spring, summer, and fall. And so uh, we we kind of set goals more every four months okay. and then try to work to achieve some objectives related to those things. Okay. And so if I was a person sitting out or listening today and, and uh, listening to the two of us talk about it, uh, maybe they're saying, hey, I'm not a pastor. This really doesn't apply to, to my life. Uh, you talked about a lady, a friend by the name of Irene. Yeah. And uh, she had set some goals for her life. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? It just kind of, to me, it really kind of pulls it down yeah. into real life. Yeah, what a great story. I mean, this lady is an immigrant, had had such a rough life, rough background, but became a follower of Jesus through some really difficult circumstances. And when she said yes to Jesus, she said yes to Jesus. That's and it great. is one of those really dramatic stories. Awesome to see. Um, and so she started writing down all the stuff that she believed God was telling her he was going to do in her life. And she'd write it down. She wrote it down on her big mirror in her living room. And we, we would go over and see her and see these things. And then we'd see God do these things. And it was so crazy to see there were big things that God would be doing. And one time recently, uh, we were with her and, and she had all these goals. And the one at the bottom wasn't done yet. It was a new home. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so then a couple of weeks later, we got to go and see her in her new 
home. And oh just goodness. one thing at a time that she would just go and pray and discern, and here's what God wants to do. And then she'd write it down, and she'd rehearse it every day and look at it every day. And that was then the direction she was moving and expecting God to work, too. What, so, a, really what cool. an affirmation of her faith. And, oh, yeah. And just sticking to that and watching God work. And, and man, you you think about that and think about a, the wonderful testimony uh, that comes out of that yeah. whole thing. Yeah, yeah. really good stuff. So, so, well, listen, we're just about out of time. And, Gabe, I want to say thank you for being our our guest today and sharing your heart about uh, the church and uh, uh, working with uh, churches that are stuck and and your desire to see new tr- new people being reached for Jesus Christ. And if there's one thing that you could leave people t- uh, with as far as a thought today, uh, what would that be? I think that it would just be to lean into God's calling uh, for every single person listening. What is God calling you to do? He wants to empower that, and he's going to bring all the resources and people around you to do it. All right. Well, listen, hey, God bless you. And uh, we're going to be watching and just seeing how God continues to use you here uh, in Northwest and through the church. And uh, I, I, it's just a delight for me to be able to uh, spend time with you today and to be able to, again just to hear how God is working in your life and uh, through the life of the church. So uh, on behalf of uh, myself here, uh, Pastor Clark Tanner, and uh, our guest today, Pastor Gabe Colstad, pastor at the uh, Westside Community Church, I want to thank you for being with us. And uh, Georgine Rice will be back next week. And and so today, uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, This is 93.9 KPDQ. Uh, God bless you, and uh, have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.